What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Is it the only one of its kind? Rick Wade describes inspiration now on Probe. A question we often encounter when talking with non-believers about Christ is, why should I believe the Bible? You have your Bible. Muslims have their Quran. Different religions have their own holy books. What makes yours special? How would you answer this? What does set the Bible apart? Christians understand it to be that in the Bible we have the words of the one true God. Christians have historically accepted both the Old and New Testaments as God's Word written and the final authority for knowledge of God and of salvation. If God's final Word is found in the Bible, then no book that differs with it can be God's Word. To differ with what the Bible says is to differ with God. Religious pluralists, those who hold that there are other ways to God than through Christ, reject this claim. Each religion has its own holy book or books. An alarming number of Christians think this way, too. According to Orthodox Christian doctrine, the Bible is the Word of God by virtue of inspiration. Now, we shouldn't think of inspiration here in the same way that, say, a poet might be inspired. Upon viewing the devastation of war, a poet pens lines which stir the compassion of readers. Or, having witnessed or experienced the complexities of love, shapes her thoughts into a sonnet. We use the word inspiration because of 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that all Scripture is inspired by God. Inspired is translated from the Greek word theopneustos, which literally means God-breathed. Some have said the word could be translated expired or breathed out. Inspiration, then, in the biblical sense, isn't simply the stirring of the imagination of the writer, but is rather the means by which the writers accurately wrote what God wanted written. This idea finds support in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Tomorrow, let's begin our study with a quick overview of the position of the church historically and a look at the witness of the Old Testament. Then we'll see what Jesus and the apostles taught about Scripture and wind up with noting some supporting evidences. You've been listening to Probe with your host, Rick Wade. For your free copy of Rick's transcript, The Inspiration of the Bible, go to probe.org. Again, that's probe.org. And join us next time here on Probe. We're talking this week about the inspiration of the Bible, which describes the nature of Scripture and sets it apart from all other holy books. The late theologian Carl F.H. Henry gave this definition of inspiration. Quote, inspiration is a supernatural influence upon the divinely chosen prophets and apostles, whereby the Spirit of God assures the truth and trustworthiness of their oral and written proclamation. They were divinely superintended by the Holy Spirit in the choice of words they used, unquote. Although some things were dictated to the writers, most of the time the Spirit simply superintended the writing so that the writer, using his own words, wrote what the Spirit wanted. Until the 19th century, the Church consistently held to the inspiration of Scripture. As the great Princeton theologian B.B. B. Warfield put it, Quote, Christendom has always reposed upon the belief that the utterances of this book 
are properly oracles of God. Close quote. This belief underlies all the creeds of the church as well. Does the Bible itself support this claim? Let's look first at the Old Testament. The clear intent of the Old Testament writers was to convey God's message. God was said to speak to the people. God says, Deuteronomy 5, Thus says the Lord, Exodus 4, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to him, Genesis 15. All these references to God speaking show that he was interested in communicating with us verbally. The Old Testament explicitly states 3,800 times that it is conveying the expressed words of God. This isn't to say that God dictated the whole Bible to its writers, although he did on a few occasions tell the writers explicitly what to say. For example, in Exodus 17:14, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Liberal scholars since the 19th century have held that God is somehow unable or unwilling to communicate propositionally to man. This idea is foreign to the Old Testament. God spoke, and the people heard and understood. In this, the third day of our series on the inspiration of the Bible, we're going to address the question, did Jesus believe in the doctrine of inspiration? In several ways, Jesus acknowledged the Old Testament writings as being divine in nature. In John 10.35, he affirmed that the Scripture cannot be broken, referring to the Old Testament. In Matthew 5.17-19, he affirmed the law as being fixed and above the whims of men. In his encounter with Satan, recorded in Matthew 4, Jesus responded with Scripture from Deuteronomy. Now, in John 12, 49, Jesus said that he only spoke what the Father wanted him to. In effect, then, Jesus was saying these words from Deuteronomy were God's words. He also honored the words of Moses, Isaiah, David, and Daniel as carrying the weight of God's words. In Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus even said that the verse in Genesis, which says a man will leave his parents and cleave to his wife, were God's words even though it doesn't say that in Genesis 2.24. What about the New Testament? It hadn't been written yet. How could Jesus be cited in support of the inspiration of the New Testament? To get a clear picture of this, we need to realize what Jesus was doing with his apostles. His small group of twelve was being trained to carry on the witness and work of Jesus after he was gone. Thus, he taught them with clarity while often teaching the crowds in parables in Mark 4. He sent them as the Father had sent him, John 20, so they could be witnesses of all these things, Luke 24, and they could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness, Acts 1. He would remind them of what Jesus had said and would give them new knowledge, John 14 and 16. As the late New Testament scholar John Wenham said, the last two promises do not, of course, refer specifically or exclusively to the inspiration of a New Testament canon, but they provide in principle all that is required for the formation of such a canon, should that be God's purpose. From these points, it is safe to conclude that Jesus would affirm the New Testament as inspired. First, he only spoke what the Father wanted him to. Second, he prepared the apostles as his special agents to hand down the truths he taught. And third, he promised the assistance of the Spirit in doing so.
In our series on the inspiration of the Bible, we come now to what the apostles believed about the nature of Scripture. As I noted yesterday, the apostles had been authorized by Jesus as special ambassadors to teach what he had taught them. They were to be witnesses to the gospel, and they were promised that the Spirit would bring to their remembrance what Jesus taught them. Probably many people listening can quote 2 Timothy 3.16, which declares that all Scripture is inspired by God. Paul was speaking primarily of the Old Testament, which Timothy had been learning from childhood. The idea of God breathing out or speaking his word wasn't new to Paul. Isaiah 45.23 says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. Paul also would have known that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy when he replied to the tempter, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Paul attributed what he taught directly to Christ, 2 Corinthians 13. He identified his gospel with the preaching of Jesus, Romans 16. And he said his words were taught by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2. What he wrote to the Corinthians was the Lord's commandment, 1 Corinthians 14. Furthermore, Paul and John as well considered their writings important enough to call for people to read them, Colossians 4, Revelation 1. Peter also taught that the scriptures were, in effect, the speech of God. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, he noted that prophecy was made by men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. In 2 Peter 3, 2, he put the apostolic message on par with the writings of the Old Testament prophets. And in verse 16 of that chapter, he calls Paul's writings scripture. It should be noted that the Greek word that is translated scripture here only refers to sacred scriptures in the New Testament. The apostles thus were the ambassadors of Christ who spoke in his stead and delivered the message which was the standard for belief and practice. They had both their own recollections of what they had witnessed and heard and the empowerment of the Spirit. The message they preached was the one they wrote down. Their message was authoritative when spoken. When written, it would be authoritative as well. This week I've given a biblical explanation for the doctrine of inspiration. The Bible is our source for Christian doctrine, even doctrine about itself. Non-believers may not be satisfied with this, however, so we should be prepared to answer their questions and offer additional evidence for the Bible as God's inspired word. Probably the most common objection outside of scholarly circles comes from the perspective of religious pluralism. People can come to God through many ways, a lot of people think, and the various religions have their own holy books. Why should we believe the Bible is special? Before answering this question, we should question the person on the reasonableness of pluralism itself. No amount of evidences or arguments for the Bible will make a bit of difference if the person believes that there is no right or wrong when it comes to religion. So we should ask if it's reasonable to believe that religions and holy books that teach contradictory things can all be true. Having challenged that underlying assumption, and having shown that the Bible claims to be God's Word, we can go on to offer additional evidences for the divinity of Scripture. A few of them would be fulfilled prophecy, the Bible's understanding of human nature and the changed lives that result from following what it says, and the resurrection of Jesus, which affirms that Jesus knows what he's talking about, 
in this case when he says that God is the source of Scripture. You can find more evidences like these on our website at probe.org. Now, I want to add an important note, something one doesn't frequently hear from apologists. We mustn't forget the power of Scripture to authenticate itself. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. Isaiah 55.11 says that God's Word will accomplish His will. In Acts 2.37, we see the results of the proclamation of the Word of God in changed people. Before we launch into a lengthy apologetic for Scripture, it might be good to get the person to read it and let the Spirit open their minds to see its truth. We aren't going to be able to prove the inspiration of the Bible to anyone who either isn't interested enough to give it serious thought or to the critic who only wants to argue, but we can share its message, make attempts at gentle persuasion, and answer questions as we wait for the Spirit to open the person's mind and heart.